Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Mike Levy, and today I have Brian Park with me because we are talking to Reto Ashbacher. Now, he is the CMO of Scott Sports. Reto, how are you doing today, and where are you? Yeah, hello, everyone. Um, I'm doing actually quite fine. I'm, I'm uh, on the other side of the, the ocean. I'm in... Uh, in uh, Switzerland, based in uh, our headquarter in um, Chivizier Fribourg. Oh, nice, nice. And is that, you live there too? Um, living here in the neighborhood between Bern, which is the capital of Switzerland, and uh, Fribourg. Oh, nice, nice. I imagine there is a whole bunch of good riding close by, close to headquarters. Yeah, actually, we have really good trails, but we we are very close to the mountains, so it's it's a perfect location for any sports we do at Scott, from skiing, ski touring, trail riding, trail running, uh, road cycling. So actually, really a, a, a perfect uh, location. Therefore, Levy, when I was uh, in in Switzerland, I guess it was 2019, visiting Dan Roberts, we went to Morgin, the little uh, the little mountain bike park near near uh scott sports and the entire mountain was covered in scott sports employees it was hilarious <laughs> yeah well that's you guys a, you guys an amazing do a lot of sports you guys have your hands in basically if it's outside you guys are doing some part of it i imagine yeah, you know, it it was really organically growing. Um, Scott has uh, has actually a history, and and that's where Scott was founded. You know, and first ski pole mm-hmm. back in 1958 in Sun Valley, Idaho. Oh wow! And and then it started to grow into uh, goggles, motorsport goggles, uh, motorsport um, boots. Um, uh, then it went further into um, bike accessories. You know them. The triathlon uh, handlebar, yeah. which Greg Lamond was winning the Tour de France, and then cycling, and you know this was kind of all organically growing, and then more and more head to toe. He he used a Scott Aero bar to win exactly. that Tour de France by seconds over eight seconds. Laurent Laurent Fignon. Fignon. There exactly. we go, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Levy, Levy pulling out the deep knowledge, the deep <laughs> lore. When, what year was that? What year was your guys' first bike product? It, it was uh, 86 we came with with bikes. And this was kind of, you know, a bit of a gold rush over here with with mountain bikes, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah. every every bike was um, was basically sold whenever it arrived in the, in, in the market. And it was like uh, really the sport at this time. Yeah, Sun Sun Valley is very different than Switzerland, Reto. Very how, how true. Did that, how did that cultural <laughs> shift, that cultural center shift from Sun Valley to Switzerland? You know, we we um we actually have really a a very close relation with with Sun Valley. We have been there and for forty years. It was really mm-hmm. kind of um, headquarter and then headquarter for the U.S. Um, basically a perfect location for all the sports to do. But uh, then later on, we had to find out, you know, it was it was great to do sports, but not so great to work because, you know, mm-hmm. people, they always wanted to go to ride and to, to ride their bikes. Uh, it was yeah. not so easy to find employees there. And it was always kind of a nightmare to travel from there. So then we decided um, 10 years ago to move down to... Um, 
to Salt Lake, where we really have also the access to to um, to manpower, to staff, but also easier traveling and, and also mm-hmm. having um, um, people visiting Scott. Yeah. All right. But so when did the Swiss office sort of become the de facto headquarters, though? It was in 98 when, um, you know, and then was um, uh, a time where where there was also a transition in ownership of the company. Mm-hmm. There was a management buyout. And at this time, uh, it was also majority of Swiss management um, together also with some uh, key managers from the U.S. They bought a majority of the company. Right. Because for us, you know, having grown up in the 2000s mountain biking, late 90s, early 2000s mountain biking, for us, Scott is always really a Swiss, like that's, that's sort of where that, um, the ethos, everything comes from with Scott, but it is originally from Sun Valley, which is wild. Do you, let's talk about you. You've been at Scott for a very, very long time. When did you join? What was your position? How, how's your history? How's your history with the company? <laughs> Actually, you know, I came out from snowboarding and at this time, my first position was in, um beginning 96 as a uh, racing and promotion manager in snowboarding at scott <laughs> there have been about i think 20 or 25 people at this time over here oh wow wow so you were a scott employee before scott was centered in switzerland yeah wild wow. so you've you've seen a lot of change because now there's what over a I don't know, thousands of people? I don't even know. How many people would work for Scott Sports now? Uh, we are, I think worldwide we are about 1,500, but we mm-hmm. in, in the Freeburg office we are literally about uh, something over 400, 410 employees. Okay, okay. And it, it's a wild office too. It's, it's, Levy, have you been there? It's no. big. It's very big. It's, very, it's fairly new. You're, you're fairly new to it, right? Yeah, we moved. We moved in actually in in um, uh, 2019, right before mm-hmm. um, COVID. Fantastic um, building. Before we have been mm-hmm. really in a more in a startup environment. You know, um, all the all the factory building with um, uh, not everybody fitting in. We have been spread out into the whole industry area of Freiburg. We we didn't have really showrooms. We didn't have meeting rooms. So it was really kind of. Yeah, we we were just growing out of the infrastructure. Now we we are really perfectly set up, and luckily also this helped us to survive so well uh, COVID because we had enough space. We had all the meeting rooms. We have over fifty-two meeting rooms. We have every brand, every product group has a meeting, uh, as a as a showroom. So uh, this was uh, crucial for us. Did your guys's offices close down at all during COVID? Did you completely close at all? Or did you keep it rolling? How did that play out for you guys? Um, yeah, you know, I mentioned it to Brian before. For us, uh, that I would say the last three years were really like on a roller coaster from complete to come to a complete stop, then again open everything, and then we had like kind of the you know the high demand, and um, we we were luckily in Switzerland. We had quite um, a liberal uh, law during COVID, so we could always run the office. We we reduced the stuff here, so people were working more from home. But we always had people in the office, and we always could keep um, uh, running the operation. Yeah, because you guys, 
the, I mean, there are larger companies, but I mean, 1500 people is that's, it's not a, it's not exactly a small company. So I'm just wondering how you guys responded to that and how that, I mean, how the, the last couple of years have been, it, it has been a roller coaster. It's been a wild time. Yeah, maybe just to precise, you know, this, uh, the 1,500 people, they are spread out into the different markets. You know, here in headquarters, we are fifth, uh, 410. And then okay. all the others are in in, in worldwide uh, distribution, subsidiaries, um, back offices, logistics centers. Yeah. Well, speaking of Speaking of logistics, we've talked to some other people and heard some crazy numbers for lead times. Um, you know, 700 days, 900 days. Mm. Was it was it that bad for you guys as well too? It's it was uh, really uh, crazy for a for quite a moment. You know, you you had really to order pieces to two years ahead. Now we see a bit the opposite. I think um, yeah. production start to have more more um, space. Um, lead times are definitely decreasing significantly, and now you start to have. Uh, in some, at least in some segments, you have also uh, some oversupply. The the uh, we were talking about oversupply before before Levy came on, and is it is it the same situation with Scott Sports where uh, there's there was super high demand, you've caught up to demand, and now you're sort of looking at managing this next year, managing your inventory, or is there yeah, how are you going to approach the oversupply situation? I think you know it goes a little bit beyond just uh, oversupply. I think the whole <clears throat> the whole supply chain, the whole way of how uh, dealers, retailers ordered products, and also probably you know this very classic way of you know when you present your bikes, when you sell your bikes, when you supply your bikes, uh, definitely get. Um, uh, disrupted by COVID, by uh, certain political issues in Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. uh, by the war, by um, and this all really affected also, you know, the the whole situation how you can plan your sales and and this is definitely something you know where uh, everybody came now to or probably most industry came now to quite. Um, uh, a new situation with uh, mm-hmm. understanding, you know, that there is a significant oversupply in certain product categories, but as well also, you know, there is there there are other um, facts impacting the situation. I think we have uh, inflation in and massive inflation in certain markets. So mm-hmm. really, this could influence where people are gonna spend their money and what they're gonna buy, how they're gonna. Have to invest their yeah their what they do invest in the next um, in the next time, but as well also you know I think um, um, it's it's um, it's also something like in the past three years a lot of people they bought products and I think um, now they go back to their old pattern they can use their cars they probably gonna go to vacation they gonna spend uh, their their leisure time different than just uh, riding the bike so. I think we're we're going to want to return to the question of integration and some of the technical stuff on your bike. Listeners, don't worry. We're going to ask the question that you want us to ask. But first, this is from the top, and I'd love to go back to you and your experience within Scott. So 
how did you rise to your position as CMO from being the snowboard? Uh, well, I forgot what it was. Marketing coordinator, racing and promotion. I, I think the, the word marketing did not even exist then because <laughs> I I know in I think was it in '97 I had to go then to the U.S. and convince that we need to have a website. You know, I started before we had a website, <laughs> before we had an email address. Sorry, guys. I I know you cannot even think that this is <laughs> simpler <laughs> times. <laughs> Yeah, Levy longs for those times. Oh, I yeah. dream of that. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a fax machine and, you know, we were faxing to Japan and to US and then you had 24 hours time until you get an answer back and definitely different speed of the business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So did you did you then go have to go back to school to get... Uh, I, I did get, uh, yeah, I, I went back to school. I mean, it, it started first, you know, like, I mean, this was the, I would say this was the nice thing because, you know, we had time to learn. It was mm -hmm. nothing like today where you come into marketing and you should know from social media to sports marketing, event management, everything together. I mean, at this time, it was very basic. I mean, we had a couple athletes. We went to a trade show and we need to do a catalog. And we had two, three magazines, which we had to work with, but all the rest was not existing. Mm -hmm. So we had really time to learn how to 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 really you know improve all the different new uh, marketing uh, platforms and channels. You know, there we learned how to build a website, but the first website was basically uh, animated PDF. So it you went know, really step by step. Uh, the original founder of Pinkbike Radic yesterday sent me. Um, so some of pink bikes earliest mock-ups like photos of them and the a 2003 sales press kit it's oh incredible God. it's so good yeah. Levi, i'll send it to you later yeah it's, yeah it is incredible um he also yeah. sent me the mock-up of when it was when they did like the my little pony themed pink uh pink bike site for april fools oh yeah it's yeah, quite yeah. good that's yeah. quite good yeah um so what is your perspective on on marketing then overall in the in, you sort of had a recent maybe shift in marketing uh in the over the past few years and at least in your english speaking um approach but we did like you did a very um involved launch of the spark the the sort of like a spoof horror thing with mm. ifht night of the spark something something mm -hmm, like mm -hmm, that mm -hmm, um yeah. And uh, that seemed very inspired by other other major brands doing these sort of big releases. What's your what's your approach to marketing on those things? Um, I think you know the Spark for us was was really a strategic, um, crucial product. You know, there we really went full into it. We had in Europe a physical launch where we had the Spark uh, Experience Tour. We went through with two big full-size tr trucks throughout uh, Europe. We had over three thousand retailers testing throughout the whole summer the product. Um, we had uh, quite a creative um, mm -hmm. um, movie, you know, mm -hmm. with the uh, the night of spark uh, i think this was definitely also um driven by um uh, julian our bike marketing manager he's really mm -hmm. kind of he likes to to have this kind of movies and stories and so it was also for us new to to tell a story like this in 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 a movie and i think that's definitely something where 
we feel there was in the past definitely also a difference between kind of European marketing and U.S. marketing. I think we mm-hmm. we were always uh, very focusing on on the, um, the the technology, the the R and D, the development, the design. You know, really the hard facts. But uh, we definitely had a bit of lack in when it comes to storytelling. You know, what, what's the emotional part? What's the what's the story? What's all about this product? And I think. There we definitely um, have a, a more emphasis on this one, and and we know that there's definitely something beyond the, the pure technical facts on the product. I think it's very uh, different that, like Scott has always marched to its own drummer, and you know sometimes that's been frustrating for reviewers or for some North American audiences, but I also think it's very cool. <laughs> that we don't have all just totally the same bikes. Um, you know, not all bikes just look the same or act the same. And I mean, in 2018 or 19, you essentially bought a bike brand for it to like own its aesthetic, which has then become your Scott's entire aesthetic across its, across its whole line. What, what drove that? That was, incredible like that that's not something we'd see i don't think any other bike brand do you know we we strongly believe and this was in all in all our history you know product first so we put always a lot into um development innovation processes and and really try to be different you know we Mm. we really wanted to go beyond just producing a standard product and i think this mm-hmm. is in our dna this is our uh, our roots and and also we we really believe that um at this time it was in 2017 18 that we we saw you know the next step on bikes going to be really the integration mm-hmm. i think how what what going to be the next level on bikes you know you always see like it's become later lighter you became um you had uh, then the whole the whole trend of uh, brake system, suspension system. Then you had the whole wheel topics. Then the whole e-bike came up. So there were always like, you know, what's the next trend on bikes and what's going to really change the look and the riding style on the bike. And then for us, it was clear we we see really the integration as as uh, the next the next level, you know, to have a clean, fully integrated bike, and uh, therefore um, it was uh, it was a perfect solution to have this integrated uh, dampening system, uh, suspension system in our bikes. You guys, you definitely you don't just dip your toes in the water with this stuff either. Like I think it's really it would be easier for you. Let me put it this way: it would be easier. If you guys made bikes that, how would I put this? Like people say they want. Yeah, that's the thing. Like you guys, you guys make polarizing bikes. That's how I would put it. And I think that's not a, I mean, that's not a easy way to go about it. You know, like in some ways, if you read those comment sections, it very much seems like the vocal minority or the vocal majority, it sounds like, um, they, don't want a lot of that integration. Um, but I think that people like you guys are doing some pretty crazy advanced bikes. So basically my question is, how do you, when you see those people, you see those comments, people not looking for so much integration. Um, how do you move forward with that? Basically? 
I mean, num numbers definitely show different. You know, the yeah. the Spark was yeah. a huge success, and I think it's um, it was really received like, hey, this is really kind of the next level bike. Of course, it's always nice if you bring out the new bike and you get the next world champion on this bike. And I think this definitely also <laughs> confirms, you know, the the performance of the bike is really is really there and is really outstanding. But you know, I think there's there's enough brands they do the same what other brands do, and I think we always had kind of this mindset to 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 really search for more, to search deeper. Uh, also, you know how our brand statement is: no shortcuts. You know, uh, really um, go go um, go um, beyond maybe the just the easy path and and find out new things and. I think with with this uh, whole new bike design we have, with where we um, have a next level of integration, uh, I think that's really became kind of an iconic look on the bike, and and is really kind of, yeah, fits really the 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 DNA and the the, uh, the corporate design from Scott on bikes now. As a former marketing Joey over here, how? how do you parse the various feedback you get? You know, when you read that all integrated cable routing, headset cable routing, it's just the marketing department's fault, et cetera. Is that hurtful? Do you, how do you take that on board? Do you, does that affect decision-making or is that a, a good thing? I think you always have to be open-minded for feedback. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, feedback comes from all different levels. I think it's, of course, consumers at the end of the day, they really decide, you know, what they like and what they feel is is what they're looking for. I mean, we get also a lot of really, really good feedback. And I mean, mm -hmm. they, they like to to see that, for example, you know, your suspension doesn't get any more dirty. It's uh, it's really clean, it's, it's covered. Um, I think also we get a lot of feedback from retailers. We get feedback from from the markets, from athletes. So I think it's it's really kind of a a big panel of people who give us uh, feedback, and and we we have um, a big team of engineers, designers. They're definitely looking what is the best solution then to to do on products. I mean, I think if people only listened to the pink bike comments, all bike <laughs> brands would just shut down. It just like no bikes would exist anymore. They'd just be like, we give up, <laughs> you know, yeah. so it, it's not good to just listen to any of the echo chambers, whether it's dealers or, or, or pink bike commenters or even journalists. I think this is a healthy market situation. I think you you need to be challenged, and I mean, uh, if there wouldn't be any critical feedback, or if there wouldn't be any other brands, you know, um, uh, developing lighter, faster, uh, nicer products, you 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 would just stagnate, and you just wouldn't work as hard, and um, as you should to get uh, new products. And I think the an innovation process is always risk taking because you need to go beyond the known thing you always need to explore you know how could you find a different technical solution and as long as you have this kind of uh, culture in your company and you know that's something which goes way beyond 
the the bike uh, development that's got you know the the aero bar was also something like this you know it's mm-hmm. it's such a, a nice story behind this you know that the guys which were before doing ski poles and goggles they started to really um invent and working on on aero bars and starting to make tests and uh, the riders in the beginning they didn't want to ride it because it looked strange and they didn't see the, the the reason for it and then at the end of the day you have such a big success and so i think this is always what you need to be aware of if you want to have innovation you need to uh, take a certain risk speaking of risks has there ever been what's been the biggest challenge that scott has faced was there ever a moment where you thought the whole whole thing had fallen apart or uh, a project failed a bike broke on the world cup and you thought oh my god this is the end was there ever anything that was a huge issue i I would say that probably the when they had the first shutdowns in europe for for COVID, you know where Mm -hmm. where you didn't have any you know we did not have any references or experience how to deal with the situation like this where Mm -hmm. it was like basically within hours um you had to shut down everything shops and everything so you know like you you had you had uh, within the next days um, many dealers canceling their orders um you have basically you felt like okay now you 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 will not you will not do the sport anymore people will sit inside and we're going to wait it was kind of it was just such a frustrating time and i mean soon we all learned different i mean it was basically <laughs> cycling was the winner out of covid because this was one of the sports everybody could do but this was kind of a moment where you feel like oh no now everything you you were working on and what you were building on in the past uh, uh two decades is falling apart mm-hmm. and because it was not just a problem which we were used to and we had experience to deal with it was just so something so totally unexpected so yeah i don't think you're alone in that one i think that a lot of people had to roll with the punches on that for sure yeah. um, but it's safe to say you had dramatic growth during covid um as did many bike brands do you think that you how do you think you tracked compared to your main competitors over the past three or four years that's a very difficult one. I think I saw some statistics where we tracked very well. And I think also our numbers, they show a really, really positive uh, evolution of the brand. Um, but I think it was also <clears throat> an opportunity for many other brands and probably also smaller brands, which could really um, uh, benefit from the whole market situation. So historically, um, at Scott, we were always performing better when market situation was tough and were brand was important and um but of course covid was definitely uh, in regards of sales numbers it was um yeah beyond expectations yeah speaking of speaking of numbers i have a question for you and i'm i'm not expecting to hear like exact numbers of course but if if we're talking mountain biking could you give us a rough estimate of e-bikes versus mountain bikes like is it is it like 50% of your mountain bike sales are e-bikes now or 30% or it's more around 30%. Okay. In terms of, in terms of units or dollars. Yeah. Units dollars is more. Yeah. But you know, also this one, you need to see more geographical. I think there are certain markets. They are, 
they're much higher than 50% in mm -hmm. e-bikes. Yeah. Uh, especially where you have mountains, uh, Europe, um, also where you have, where you have the buying power, you know, where people mm -hmm. really can buy five, six, 7,000 um, uh, Swiss francs Euro bikes. And then of course you have also markets where you don't have really a need of e-bikes. So that's the balance. Yeah. Earlier I was asking you sort of tough questions about integration and proprietary things. But now that we're talking about e-bikes, mm -hmm. to me that is like the perfect sort of spot for what you guys do. You guys like could put everything together and make it look super clean. Um, so I have a future question for you. E-bike, five years from now, what what the heck does that thing look like from Scott? <laughs> Probably like it's from a hundred years from now, from the future. It's, it's, it's a really good question because, you know, every time when I see the new bike, I feel, what can you do better? And then you look three years, three, four years mm -hmm. backwards and you feel like, oh, this bikes look really old. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, that's something, you know, in, in our in industry, which is really unique. I think there's not many products which have every two years and this consistently over the past two decades some innovation some new designs some new trends some new wheel sizes some and i think this was really driving the market a lot so i definitely expect that um in e-bike um they definitely have to become lighter i think that's that's something you know where where i believe people are definitely tired of to have two heavy bikes i think they're definitely new Categories coming to the market, like our new Lumen, uh, Scott Lumen bike with uh, 50.5 kilos, which is which is amazing to ride because it doesn't ride like an e-bike. It just makes you feel good. I think it it it's riding like you have just a good day, but you get this nice seamless support. So I think that's going to be, they're going to be more bikes for bikers, you know, which are used to ride normal bikes but they need a little bit of support because you know they get into a into an age where they where they don't want to suffer as much anymore but they really want to get still the feeling like a real bike they still want to feel like a real bike to ride and that was that Scott Lumen was using that's using TQ so yes TQ bike? yeah cool. do you think that your integration could grow to the point where you do your own motor was that ever considered <laughs> Um, it's considered, but I would say no, because, you know, we, we strongly believe today with this whole, um, motors, you need also someone who can provide a global service, who can, um, uh, also do, um, all these investments you need to do for a long-term, um, evolution and, uh, innovation process. And I think, uh, we, we did once our experience in, was it in the 90s where we had our um, Unishock uh, fork where we believed, hey, we invest into a fork and we might sell it to other players in the market. But, you know, our experience was quite clear. I mean, no one no one wants to buy a shock uh, fork for their, for their um, bike. So I think there you need to have some, you need to have the Shimano's, the SRAMs, the Bors, uh, the TQs on this uh on this market and which can really serve a um, broader audience i had totally forgotten about that fork that's yeah. a great plus from the past yeah. what what's your personal bike what do you ride most um <clears throat> right now i'm just riding the new scott genius trail bike 
but um, and um, for the moment also the gravel bike because that's my bike for my commute. Very nice, very nice. All right, so before before we let you go, I'm gonna try to do part of my job here and try to get some product information from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple years from now, without giving away without giving away too many secrets of of what's coming up. Um, what what might we expect from Scott? I know that there's uh, if we go by the two or three year model cycle, some bikes are coming up. We just saw the new Genius ST, uh, but I'm sure there's new things coming soon. Besides that, I think what you always can expect from Scott is you know lightweight performance, innovation, design. Oh, you had this answer chambered, Reto. What a pro! <laughs> Hey, no, but you know, is is if I can tell you now everything, I cannot show up in the office anymore. The the product managers and the designers they gonna torch me tomorrow. So, well, part of the reason that I asked that we were talking about Corona earlier and how it slowed things down for a while, and I was wondering, it must have also slowed down some development stuff. Like we saw some bike components that were their release was put off by over a year. Um, so was there were you guys working on stuff that was maybe supposed to come out earlier that we're going to expect at some point soon? To be honest, we what we did is we we on certain areas we definitely worked slower, but for sure not in in the development. I think that was the only area and whenever we have to to cut budgets or where we had to um allocate timing we do it but not in when it comes to development or design i think this is really kind of the backbone of the company so there we really do everything possible to move uh, projects forward but for sure you're right i think um there there is definitely in the whole supply chain or there was in the supply chain it was more difficult you know before our pms and engineers they went they went four or five times to Asia. They could really work closer with the factories, even when we maintain um, a very close relationship with them and with all the technical um, technical um, devices, you could really communicate quite easy. But it was definitely not, still not the same than if you could really travel and, and visit the manufacturers. But still, we are quite good on time with all our projects. What is something which really changed, and I think this is not only due COVID, but I think this whole go-to-market process um, started to change. Before you started to launch a product and then you communicate this and then the consumer had to wait nine months until you can get the bike. And I think this is something which is is uh, really outdated. Um, consumers today, they if you tease something, if you communicate something, they really want to have the possibility to to buy the bike. And I think that's something we take way more into consideration into the full process when we plan the go-to-market of a product. That's good. Yeah, it's especially if your forecasting is good. Um, you know, because so so much of telling people beforehand was shops and distributors trying to um, mitigate risk um, for a product. But if you know what the product is going to do and you have a good track record, it is it is so much more impactful to launch a bike and then give it to the people, give the people what they want. 
I think also, you know, for consumers, the buying behavior mm-hmm. changed. I think there's much more this instant purchasing. You know, I like this product. I want to have it. And, totally. And um, I think also, you know, there is not so much a big difference anymore between B2B communication and B2C communication. I think this goes really seamless. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think the big question on all those future products that you aren't telling us about that everybody wants to know is, it's going to make such a huge difference in the whole world. Where where do the cables go into the frame? <laughs> I have I got one last question for you before we before we let you go. Oh you, no, you gotta let yeah. you gotta let him answer it. You gotta let him answer it. Okay. Uh, I think I think people really appreciate you know if your cables cannot be uh, hit by rocks or can can. Uh, be somewhere um, hooked into something. And at the end of the day, it really looks like also a well, nicely integrated um, um, uh, frame. Uh, And I think, you know, on all the the beautiful products and all the beautiful bikes you see today, that there's everything really well integrated and designed. And I think that's something which we're also going to see in the future. I will say that, well done internal routing through headset or fully hidden cables like danger home out bikes do look very very nice i'll give i'll give it that it, uh, i'm jury's out on if it's worth it for the home mechanic but i do agree that aesthetically it's gorgeous yeah he knows how to do nice bikes for sure <laughs> yeah. that's what got to be one of the best marketing partnerships that you guys have ever done I'm I'm happy that you like it. And I mean, he's a fantastic guy and we are always, you know, for us, it's also always a surprise, you know, what does he going to build next? You know, mm-hmm. how does it look like? But, you know, at the end of the day, you need to have really a, a, a fragmented marketing program. You have to, to, to touch different audiences and, um, the different different segments of people, target groups, they like different things, and the, for sure, this whole Danger Home program is is uh, great for this high end designed bikes and perfect fit with Scott. Totally agree. Reto, do you do you have a big party planned for? Uh, I don't want to jinx it or anything. I'm going to knock on some wood here, but we, we I think we all know Nino's going to win that 38th World Cup this coming year, don't we? <laughs> you mean this thirty fourth, thirty fourth, thirty fourth, thirty fourth? Yeah, you know, um, I'm, I'm sure he still has some wins in his legs. I think yeah. uh, uh, what he what he showed off uh, in uh, Leger last year was, I mean, goosebumps for for two hours. I mean, it was just amazing what he did, and he was riding so smart, and he was so dedicated to this race i mean it um it was so well deserved and to be honest i wouldn't be surprised if he gonna if he gonna do this uh 34th win this year again yes all right so to to wrap things up let's jump back back to you a little bit what's your sort of away from the the office from away from the bike world what's your like where do you draw inspiration are you a book guy podcast guy I'm a mountain guy. Okay. I spend a lot of time in the mountains. Yeah, in the ski touring, climbing, 
um, nature, outdoor. You know, this uh, last summer I was paddling the Yukon River. Oh so, yeah, up in oh, wow. the Skeena. You went to Skeena, and then and then afterwards I went to Skeena, visiting my friend uh, Martin and uh, Skeena Heliski. Before I was um, paddling with my family on the Yukon and Teslin River. Uh, really out in the nature and um, this uh, I think this gives me really the time you know to be really disconnected with all mobile phones emails and yeah that's that's what gives me really a lot of inspiration and power for then other times back in the office that's Levy too <laughs> needs to needs to uh, unplug from the internet yeah what about the business world do you are there any other companies that you look at and want to model the marketing department of Scott against? Never. No? Never. You know, I think I've been <clears throat> at Scott um, in the um, in the 90s where we went to magazine reviews mm -hmm. and, um, you know, like research presentations where Scott was not even showing up. So mm -hmm. we were, of course, frustrated and everybody came and said, ah, you should be like these guys or those. And, and you know, we, we always felt like you cannot, you cannot copy. You cannot, you cannot run behind other brands because, you know, you're always a follower and you, you never really define your own brand. And I think this is all about you. You need to have the guts to, to, to make your own decision, to really also find your own way how you want to uh, position your brand, how you want to communicate your brand, your own story. And I think this was never something we we wanted to go too deep into this one to just analyze all the different brands. I think that's such good advice for a lot of, you know, that next generation of mountain bike entrepreneurs. And, uh, you know, Scott has definitely always gone its own way and been true to itself there. Yeah, and I think it's not because there are not brands out there we we like what they do. I mean, there are fantastic brands out there, you know, regardless in all different areas in sport. And sometimes I feel like, wow, that's that's really a nice job what they did. But I think that's also something, you know, I give credit and I think this is well-deserved. But we, we find whenever possible our own way, our own, our own story. And I think this is also what gives them the authenticity and the respect in 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 the industry. Nice. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, we totally appreciate it. It's been very cool to see Scott's evolution over the past few years. Um, yeah, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Michael. Fantastic yeah. talking to you. And uh, you do really such a nice uh, platform. So it's always um, great to work with you guys. Uh, thank, thank you. Thanks so much, Reto. And everybody that's listening, put those comments down below underneath this podcast, and we will see you guys next week. 